you have your copy of God's Word, if you turn to the book of 2 Chronicles, 2 Chronicles chapter 29, 2 Chronicles 29, it's back in your Old Testament up there toward almost middle ways before you get to Psalm, but it's after 1 and 2 Kings, you got 1 and 2 Chronicles, and so uh, sometimes it's hard to find, it's a place we don't go to very often, uh, 2 Chronicles 29. I got a message this morning the Lord's been dealing with me on, and he actually dealt with me on three different messages this week. And uh, I tell you what, it was coming down to, to time, and I was like, Lord, I, <laughs> uh, you know, I, I'm just not positive on what you want me to preach, and I believe this is what it would be. Second Chronicles 29, when you get there, if you're able to stand, would you please stand for the reading of God's Word? Second Chronicles chapter 29, we'll look at the first 11 verses. Here the Bible says, Hezekiah began to reign when he was five and twenty years old, and he reigned nine and twenty years in Jerusalem. And his mother's name was Abijah, the daughter of Zechariah. And he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that David his father had done. He in the first year of his reign, in the first month, opened the doors of the house of the Lord and repaired them. And he brought in the priests and the Levites and gathered them together into the east street. And said unto them, Hear me, ye Levites, sanctify now yourselves, and sanctify the house of the Lord God of your fathers, and carry forth the filthiness out of the holy place. For our fathers have trespassed, and done that which was evil in the eyes of the Lord our God, and have forsaken him, and have turned away their faces from the habitation of the Lord, and turned their backs. Also they've shut up the doors of the porch, and put out the lamps, and have not burned incense, nor offered burnt offerings in the holy place unto the God of Israel. Wherefore, the wrath of the Lord was upon Judah and Jerusalem, and he has delivered them to trouble, to astonishment, and to hissing, as you see with your eyes. For, lo, our fathers have fallen by the sword, and our sons and our daughters and our wives are in captivity for this. Now it is in mine heart to make a covenant with the Lord God of Israel, that his fierce wrath may turn away from us, my sons, be not now negligent, for the Lord has chosen you to stand before him, to serve him, and that you should minister unto him and burn incense. Father, thank you for the reading of your word this morning. Help us now as we try to preach, and we'll give you the glory for it. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. If you look back up there at verse 7, we're going to be taking our thought really from that. The Bible says there also they have shut up the doors of the porch and put out the lamps and have not burned incense nor offered burnt offerings in the holy place under the God of Israel. Uh, we're introduced here to young Hezekiah, young, 25. His father had been the previous king, King Ahaz. And just like many father and son teams or, or even one king to the next king, we find one king does evil in the eyes of God and, and the next king may do good in, in the, the eyes of God. Uh, here we have that, that case. His father, King Ahaz, was evil. He did that which was not good in, in the eyes of God. In Second Chronicles 28, the chapter before this, in verses 24 and 25, it says, And Ahaz gathered together the vessels of the house of God and cut in pieces uh, the vessels of the house of God and shut up the doors of the house of the Lord. And he made him altars in every corner of Jerusalem. And in every uh, several city of Judah he made high places to burn incense unto other gods. 
and provoked to anger the Lord God of his fathers. And so this man Ahaz, who had been king there uh, over uh, uh, Israel, uh, he was evil. He did wicked things. He set up uh, altars to uh, pagan gods and worshipped those and had others worship them. He shut down God's house. He shut down the temple. Uh, they were doing all kinds of things there. And then finally Ahaz dies, and that's where our text picked up this morning with his 25-year-old son Hezekiah as he takes over as king. Now, it, it is obvious to me that Hezekiah loved the Lord. And it's obvious to me that Hezekiah has been thinking about what he was going to do when he became king. Because he sets out trying to undo all those wicked things that his father had done before him. And so, judging from this, his action is quick. And it's to make things right. And he's gave it a lot of thought of what he was going to do as king. Now, this text, a lot of times and oftentimes, it is used to show about things that ought not be in the church. That part up there to, where it says to carry out the filthiness out of this place. There were filthy things they'd allowed into the house of God. Filthy idols, things they were bowing down to and worshiping things. And we could go into some awful, terrible things that they were doing in God's house. And uh, uh, here, this king Hezekiah, he says, get all this filthiness out of God's house. It don't belong there. And I want you to know today, filthiness does not belong in the house of God. It don't belong inside these four walls. It don't belong in any of the homes of our, our brothers and sisters in Christ. No Christian should have filthiness in their lives. It needs to be carried out. But that's not what we're talking about today. We're looking there, uh, kind of centered on verse uh, 7. And I've titled the message this morning, Has Your Porch Light Gone Out? Now, I don't know if you've ever been lost. Everybody in here, anybody been lost? I mean, completely lost. I'm not talking salvation. I'm talking about physically lost. All right. All right. A few. And I'm not talking about when the GPS just gives you the wrong directions and you're somewhere in the vicinity and everything. You know, you can find your way. You're just not really sure. Uh, when I was 13 years old, I went squirrel hunting with my dad and his best friend. His best friend is funny. His best friend's name was Cheryl. Uh, he was a man, but his name was Cheryl. And my dad's name was Carol, uh, James Carroll. And everybody called him Carol. So it was Carol and Cheryl. Uh, and uh, I just thought that was humorous, threw that in for, for free. But uh, we went uh, squirrel hunting. And uh, we went to a lot of places to squirrel hunt. But this time we went to somewhere new. I'd never been there. They had been there. I'd not. And it was up on Clinch Mountain. So we drove over to Joppa in Granger County. And we pulled Dad's car off the side of the road. And we started walking up Clinch Mountain. Now, I don't know if you're familiar with Clinch Mountain or not. Uh, it's, it's a very big mountain. In fact, it's 150 miles long. It starts there in Blaine in Granger County. and goes all the way up in Virginia. And so it, it just goes on and on and on. It's part of the Appalachian Trail. And some parts of it are so steep, you have to actually pull yourself up with trees. They're, the trees are coming out this way, and you've got to like pull yourself up. And that's, that's the, the way it was where we were going squirrel hunting. Well, Dad and, and myself and, and Cheryl, we, he called him Sherry, <laughs> they, we all split up and went in different directions. Now, you know, I was 13 years old. I felt pretty confident. I'd been squirrel hunting a lot, mostly in different places. I'd go on House Mountain. House Mountain was not a, a, a park then. It was, it was rural. You could go up there and, and hunt. And so I'd go up there a lot. But I'd never been on Clinch Mountain in this particular place. And so I was up there hunting for a long time. I was looking for a red fox squirrel because they're known for that. 
and I was up there hunting, and I started noticing it was getting dark. And so I thought, well, okay, I'll just head on back down to the car, and it'll be all right. And I stood up, and I started looking around, and I was like, I, I can't really remember which way I came up here. I'd got up there and turned around and everything else, and I could not remember which way to go back. And so, uh, you know, I decided, well, I'll just, I'll just start going downhill because eventually I'll get somewhere. And so I'm going down this steep mountain. I'm talking, it is steep. And I'm carrying a 20-gauge shotgun and a squirrel bag and, you know, everything. And so I'm getting going down through there, and I realize that I am completely and utterly lost, and I don't have a clue where I'm at. And there was nothing but trees in front of me. I could not see any kind of daylight, any anything out there at all. And eventually the sun went completely down, and it turned totally black. I, I mean, it was so dark on that mountain, I could not hardly see my hands in front of my face. And I started panicking. I mean, I was running. I was running through trees. You know, I'm like that cartoon character running through and hitting every tree in the woods. And uh, I was so scared, and I remember going down through there, like a blind man wandering around alone, and I began praying, Oh, Lord, help me! You know, and I started repenting of anything I'd ever done. I said, God, I, I'll never do anything like that again. If you'll help me out of these woods, 13 years old now, you know, all those bad things I've been doing. But, I, I mean, I was serious. I was literally scared for my life. And after a few, uh, I don't know how long it was, it felt to me like it was days. I'm sure it was just hours or an hour. But I'm going through, though, and all of a sudden I start hearing these dogs barking, and hounds. And, and I start looking, and through those trees I saw this glow of a porch light. And I knew that if there was a porch light, there was a porch. If there's a porch, there's a house attached to it, and probably somebody living there. And so here I'm going through there, making my way toward that house, and I see the front door open, and this man comes out, and he's walking toward me, and here I'm straight, I've had tears pouring down, I've dirt on my face, and I've got like these streams, you know, going through, and I'm carrying the gun, walking through there, you know, he comes up to me, and he says, son, are, are you lost? I said, yeah, my daddy's up there somewhere, uh, parked somewhere around here, and I don't have a clue. So he puts me in his car, and we drove up the road, and we found my dad's car off the side of the road, and there was him and Sherry standing there waiting on me. Uh, but friends, now, that I, I said that for a long ways around, but I was completely and utterly lost, not a clue where I was going to be. I could have wandered all the way to Virginia, I, I, I suppose. But uh, as I was out there thinking about that, the comfort that I felt when I saw the light in front of me was like nothing you've ever seen in your life. I mean, it just immediately washed over me that I was safe. The safety and comfort of that, knowing there was a porch there with a light, knowing I was going to get help, it just brought me so great comfort. Now, much is the same as I was lost wandering around on Clinch Mountain. The children of Israel, they've been lost and without God for a long time. Their leader, that King Ahaz, he, had, he was so wicked. I mean, they've completely lost sight of what it meant to be God's people. And so because of this wickedness, God has poured out his wrath upon those people. And they're in captivity. They've been taken into captivity by their enemies. And Israel had to go through so many years of hardship because of the wickedness and the sin they'd allowed into their lives. Now, the porch of the temple, as the Bible is talking about there in verse 7, 
Ahaz had, had shut it up. He'd, he'd locked it up shut where you couldn't go out there and had put the lights out. The lights were always to burn out there on that, on that porch. That's Solomon's porch is, is where it, what it is. And we first uh, hear about it there in 1 Kings chapter 6, verses 1 through 3. 1 Kings 6, 1 through 3. And the Bible says, And it came to pass in the 418th year after the children of Israel were come out of the land of Egypt, in the fourth year of Solomon's reign over Israel, in the month Ziph, which is the second month, that he began to build the house of the Lord. And the house which King Solomon built for the Lord, the length thereof was three score cubits, and the breadth thereof twenty cubits, and the height thereof thirty cubits. And the porch before the temple of the house, twenty cubits was the length thereof according to the breadth of the house, and ten cubits was the breadth thereof before the house. Now this is a magnificent porch. You may have a porch on your house, but it pales in comparison to Solomon's porch. It was placed out there at the entrance of the temple. And it's where everybody would gather together before they entered into there. There were many things that took place on that porch. There were healings on that porch. There was preaching on that porch. There was uh, a, a fellowship on that porch. There were so many things that happened. But notice the first thing the Bible talks about on the temple is the porch. It's an important place. Brother Scott was teaching this morning there about the man that got healed by the pool of Bethesda that had five porches. And he made the, the, uh, the statement, which I was going to make as well, but the, the, the significance of the porch is a grace and mercy is what that represents. And every time you see a porch mentioned in the Bible, it's representing grace and mercy of God. Now, not only was the porch important for the children of Israel, but later on we read in the New Testament the porch was being used. Jesus taught on that porch. John 10, 22 through 30. And it was at Jerusalem, the feast of the dedication, and it was winter. And Jesus walked in the temple in Solomon's porch. That don't mean he passed through the porch and went in the temple. He was in the porch. In because it was enclosed. It was a portico. Had a, had a top on it. Had columns. It was huge. And there is where Jesus stopped off to teach a very important message. Verse 24, Then came the Jews round about him and said unto him, How long dost thou make us doubt? If thou be the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you believe not. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. But ye believe not, because you are not of my sheep, as I said unto you. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. Now Jesus has essentially told them point blank, and he's already told them, he said, I told you before already. I am him. I am the one. I am the Christ. I am the one that you've been waiting on. And then he lets them, gives them a little bit of information. They don't belong to him. They are not what you would consider saved people. These religious people here, they're not believers. Oh, they believe in God. Of course they do. But as far as their Messiah, as far as the Christ that's been sent there to forgive them of their sins... They don't believe in him. And so even though Solomon's temple 
had been destroyed during Herod's, uh, uh, during, uh, you know, um, before in Herod's time, and Herod rebuilt the temple. So this was actually Herod's temple, but part of that porch did not get destroyed, and they remodeled the same place and still the same truths, and it's a place of grace and mercy as Jesus stands here teaching. And uh, what great truths, because we often turn to this particular teaching of Christ to, uh, to let us know that when we, have, we get saved, we have eternal life. And no one can take us out of God's hand. Once you're in there, you cannot be taken out. You can't take yourself out of God's hand if you've truly been put there. And so that's where we get assurance of our eternal salvation, that we don't lose it the first time we mess up or the first time we sin. We don't lose our salvation. You lose your fellowship with the Lord when you, you sin and you get away from Him. You lose fellowship. But you don't lose your salvation. You don't have to get re-saved every time you, you sin because He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so Jesus taught on that, that place that God had put there for a place of grace and mercy. Now Peter, he also preached on the porch. Same one, after the lame man was healed. You may remember the story. It's him and John's walking up to the temple. And there's a man that's been lame there from, I believe it's from his birth. And he's, he's there at the gate and, and he's begging for money. And uh, they tell him, you know, we don't have any money. But, you know, by the grace of God, stand up and, you know, uh, walk. And he stands up and is jumping and leaping and he gets healed. Well, after that happened there in Acts chapter 3 and verse 11, and as the lame man which was healed held Peter and John, all the people ran together unto them in the porch that is called Solomon's, greatly wondering. We find that this porch there at the temple was a place of great comfort for people. Here, Peter has, has through the power of the Holy Spirit, healed this lame man right there in this same place. And here all the people have gathered together on that porch. Now, later on in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 5, verses 12 through 14, we find that the church was meeting on the porch. Acts 5 and 12. And by the hands of the apostles were many signs and wonders wrought among the people. And they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. And of the rest durst no man join himself to them. But the people magnified them, and believers were the more added to the Lord, multitudes both of men and women. You may be wondering, Brother Byron, what, what in the world are you talking about the porch all, all morning for? What's the, what's the use in that? I want you to know it's very significant that God has put it in His Word about this place. It's a place that He has set aside as a special place for His people to come to. I believe, you know, and I, I told you, you know, the building is not the church, but I believe God would have the church meet in a place where we know we're going to be able to congregate together. I mean, in the New Testament, sure, they met in homes, they met in the synagogues, they met in temples, they met in all kinds of places. But God has a place for us to come together to congregate, to assemble ourselves, to worship Him, and to praise Him, and to be together in fellowship. There, the Bible said that the church was in one mind and one accord. They were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. And so I believe that God has designed places for the church to come and be together, and to have this grace and this mercy of what the porch signifies. I have a lot of other experiences in porches, and I'm not up here just tell folk tales and things. And sometimes I get concerned when you do tell a little bit of stories or something, truths that you've, you've been through, 
that people will remember that and not remember everything else. And sometimes it can get to that point. I'm not one of those types of preachers that thinks you can get up here and just tell homespun stories the whole service. I think God's Word needs to be preached. But I'll give you a few little antidotes of things that, uh, you know, have happened to me or my life. But uh, porches mean a great deal to me. And I know that sounds silly. But they mean a great deal because they've always represented unto me a place of comfort, a place that I can go to, a place where I know I belong. Uh, when I was five years old, I was spending the night at my grandparents' house. They lived the cow pasture, two cow pastures from our house. Uh, our house was, was built on their land um, that my dad got. He got an acre off of my papa's land. But they lived in a humongous two-story uh, house that was built in the 1800s by slaves. It was It's one of those big gray houses with that kind of concrete-looking shingle on the outside on Maloneville Road. And a lot of people are familiar with it. They just remodeled it. Uh, it got sold out of my family. And whoever lives there now has just remodeled it and put vinyl on it. Uh, but uh, it, was, it was a two-story house, old two-story house with a tin roof. And me and my sister would go out there and spend the night at times. Well, before we'd go, my sister Pam would tell me scary stories. Um, she'd talk about the slaves that built the house and they had died there and they would come back at night and you could hear their chains rattling as they walked around in the attic upstairs. Well, the extra bedrooms just happened to be on the second floor upstairs. And uh, at five years old, uh, I go up there and it's pitch black and uh, I lay down in that bed and my grandmother, her name was Bessie, Bessie Chesney. They had us call them by their names, Bessie and Lauren. And so Bessie was sitting there on the side of the bed, and she's tucking me in. She knew I was scared to death. Pam had already, I was just nervous as, as I could be. I just knew I was going to get killed in the middle of the night. So I'm laying there in the bed, and, and she can tell, and she starts, she always did that. She would smooth over the top of my head like this, you know, trying to make, make me comfortable. She said, honey, I want you to look right out there, out that window, and your mom and dad's house is right over there. Now, if you'll look on the, at the front, there's a porch light on right over the porch. Now, when you start getting worried or getting scared, I just want you to look out there at that light and know that your parents are right over there and, and they love you and, and you're just fine. And before long, I, I mean, I laid there, you know, I don't know how long it was, but I laid there looking at that light and it brought me great comfort because I knew just across the cow pastures there that my parents were in that house and they had that light on and I could, you know, if I had to, I, I'd... I'd climb down and go out out of Granny and Papa's house, and, and I would go over to Mom and Dad's and be safe. And so it brought me this great comfort. That porch that was on my parents' house, it was the same place we used for home base. And when we played uh, hide-and-go-seek or ghost in the graveyard, uh, we would always make the porch the home base because we knew it was a place that we were safe. We would sit on that porch in the summertime, and we would uh, we would shell beans, we would string beans, we would silk corn, we would break beans. We <laughs> we had a lot of beans, but we we were out there on that porch all summer long. We would eat watermelon and spit seeds off that porch. Uh, the beagles would come and lay around. Those old dogs would sit around, and we'd pet them dogs on that porch. Uh, it was just a place that we knew that we were safe and made us feel at home and got great comfort. Now, this message isn't about my parents' porch or even your porch. There's no doubt in my mind, though, the porch is important to the Lord. 
And it's not because of how it's structured or how it's made or what it looks like, how big it is, how small, or anything like that. But what the significance is, is what it represented. It represented a place that God said, right here is where I want you to be. This is where I want you to assemble together. You're my people. I want you to come out here on this porch. I want that light burning. And I want when you enter into that temple to come off of this porch. And I want you to be in one mind and one accord. And I believe this church is the same way. I believe God has allowed us to be at this place where He knows this is my house. This is where you can come. You can congregate together. And you can be together in one mind and one accord. And you can worship me and lift me up. Oh, it's just... it's. That's what it represents. As I come walking up that ramp right there this morning off the parking lot and onto the porch of the church, I just started thinking about what, how wonderful it was I get to come here and walk into this place and worship together with God's people. How wonderful. But the porch is a place of grace and mercy. I want us to look at one more place where the Bible talks about this porch. Very important, very important. Joel chapter 2. Joel chapter 2, verses 12 through 17. The Bible says, Therefore also now, saith the Lord, turn you even to me with all your heart, and with fasting, and with weeping, and with mourning, and rend your heart, and not your garments, and, and turn unto the Lord your God. For he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness, and repenteth him of the evil. Who knoweth if he will return and repent and leave a blessing behind him, even a meat offering and a drink offering unto the Lord your God? Blow the trumpet in Zion, sanctify fast, call a solemn assembly, gather the people, sanctify the congregation, assemble the elders, gather the children and those that suck the breast. Let the bridegroom go forth of his his chamber and the bride out of her closet. Listen to verse 17. Let the priest, the ministers of the Lord, weep between the porch and the altar and let them say, Spare thy people, O Lord, and give not thine heritage to reproach that the heathen should rule over them. Wherefore should they say among the people, Where is their God? We know that God had given them chance after chance after chance. And here He's commanded that the priest, the minister of the Lord, as they get up there and they weep between that porch and the altar. They weep there between the porch and altar. That's a distance of about 20 feet. And so they would gather there. And this is where the priest would place their hands on the hand, on the head uh, uh, over uh, of the sacrifice. And they would put their hands on the heads of it and confess the sins of the people on that sacrifice. And they would weep over those sins. How many people today are weeping over their sins? Very few. There are very few people weeping over their sins today. Instead, they're boasting about their sins. Instead, they're showing the world uh, their sins. They want the world to join in on their sins. They want, they want to be legitimized because of their sin. But they're not weeping over them. They're celebrating their sin today. Oh, friends, we need to be weeping over the sins of the people. We need to be weeping over the sins of this city, the sins of this country. We need to be weeping over it. 
and praying to God, God, spare us. Spare us. We've turned our backs on you. We've done evil in your eyes. We've bowed down to false idols. God, we're boasting about sins. God, help us. Save us. But we should be weeping over it. Oh, people, all manner of sinful acts being committed under the guise that it's my right to do this. And you've got to stand up for my right to do this evil, wicked, sinful thing. People want to be justified for their sinfulness, their, their wickedness. Oh, listen, we need to be weeping over it. Let me ask you something this morning. Has your porch light gone out? Have you joined the world with the cold and indifference toward God? Have you allowed the world's sins to permeate your life and now you're in agreement with the world's sins? Are you lifting up the sins of the world and defying God? Has your porch light gone out? Or is it brightly lit? Or are you trying to show the light of Christ? Friends, we're to be salt and light in this world of darkness. We need to give savor and flavor to this world. In Matthew 5, 13 through 16, the Bible says, Ye are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has lost his savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden under foot of men. Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick and giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. I am seeing Christians today, churches today, pastors today, preachers today that are standing up and glorifying the sins of the world. Allowing the sins of the world into God's house. It has no place. Carry out the filthiness out of God's house. Carry the filthiness out of your own heart. Get the light of your porch lit up so that all the world may see. Don't hide it. Don't stand around and cower when somebody boasts of their sin. Don't stand there and take it and agree with it and say, oh, that's fine, everybody for their own, you know, whatever. No, it's like, well, you know what God says about that right there. Let me tell you what God says. Can I pray for you? You've got a problem. Can I pray for you? God can deliver those that's in these sinful conditions. We, though, must be the light of the world. We must be the salt because the world has lost its savor. We've got to be the ones that does it. And our porch light must stay on. We can't blow them out. We can't lock up the porch. A lot of porches are getting locked up in a lot of churches today. A lot of churches getting locked up and boarded up with a four cell sign on the front of it. We can't allow that to happen here. We've got to stand firm. We've got to stand boldly. We've got to stand on the Word of God and say, We will not bow down to the world. We will not bow down to sin. We will not bow down to all the garbage going on today. We will not allow filthiness into this place. We will be light. And all those that can see this church, anywhere in this city, anywhere they should know, this is a place of grace and mercy where we, they know they can meet the Lord Jesus. They can come and hear the Word of God. They can be saved. They can bow down at this old-fashioned altar. It still works today the same as it did back in the 40s, the 50s, the 60s, the 70s. It's not changed. God's not changed. He's the same today and forevermore. 
yesterday, today, and forever. Oh, friends, listen. I know I've told you a lot of stories and talked a lot about porches. But I cannot stress enough the importance that God places upon His people, His places to congregate and worship together, assemble together, and what we are to do in His absence while we're still on this earth. You know, we're not just here to abide time until, you know, He takes us away to heaven. But we're here to occupy until He comes. Occupy until that day when we will all go to meet Him in the air. What a glorious time that's going to be. But until then, our porch lights are going to burn. Our porches are going to stay open. We are going to continue to assemble together as God's people. Amen. Amen. Let's all stand together. Brother Scott, come get a song. Now, this may not have been a message of salvation today. Perhaps it was. You may be here today and and you've never been saved. I want you to know that it's never too late. God will save you. It doesn't matter what time it is, what day it is. I don't care what you've done or what you're doing at the moment or anything like that. And God doesn't either. But the Bible says now is accepted time. Today is the day of salvation. And so if there's one here today that needs to be saved, if God's been dealing with you, you come down. As we pray together this morning, if you have any need at all, you come to the altar today. and Let us pray with you. Let's bow our heads and, and pray. Father, God, we thank you so much for the message today. Lord, I pray that it's, it's helped someone. God, it's helped me. Lord, just reminded me, Lord, of what you place of the importance on, Lord, for your people, for your place to, to assemble. And God, for us to magnify your name. God, if there's one today that needs help, would this be the day, Lord, that you'll convict their heart, Lord, and show them the need that they need to be saved before it's too late. Help us, Father. Lord, if there's any here suffering from any other thing, Lord, and they need prayer, God, would this be the day, Lord, they would just turn it over to you, Lord. Help us today in this service, Lord. Help us. In Jesus' name, amen.